Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. Psychic medium Stephanie Burke is off tonight. She's under the weather, as a lot of people are right now. But that's all right. She'll she'll be with us in spirit, no pun intended, because tonight, tonight we're going to celebrate our 16th anniversary a little bit early. Normally we do it after our anniversary because I feel like it's bad luck to do the anniversary show before, before the, the anniversary. Yeah. Like we do it now, like, oh, it's our 16th anniversary show. And then we come in Monday and they're like, oh, uh, yeah, by the way, Spooky South Coast, you're off. We're going to be putting on something else on Saturday night. So I don't think that'll happen. I think after 16 years, we're safe. How many different, you know, uh, transitions did this station have? Um, I mean, for Saturdays, things have been pretty much the same. The only the only thing is we started carrying some Saturday night football games, and we, you know we don't we don't have to worry about ducking out for sports anymore because we can go live on the WBSM app even when there's games happening on WBSM, which is a really cool feature. Uh, which is why I tell everybody out there who listens to the show on podcast, if you do want to listen to us live, I know that you know you live in all different parts of the world, and we appreciate you checking out our show no matter where you are. But you don't have to be on the South Coast to listen to us live. You can listen to us on WBSM.com, but you can also listen to us on the WBSM app, which uh, I listen to the station all the time on the app. I'm in my office directly across from, you know, the studio. The studio. You just and I'm listening on the app. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I could. I could just listen to what's going on. But instead, I tune in on the app and I've got my headphones in and uh, I will put it on, whether it be, you know, my Alexa device, my Google Home whatever I want to use in that regard. Sometimes I just stream it directly from the site. Sometimes I use my phone. It's all kind of in whatever I have connected at that moment. I can listen in multiple ways. And in fact, you know, that's people say, well, why do you have a Google Home and an Alexa in your office? Well, because I have to test both as part of my job here. And for I've had those both now for three years and I had to test them when I first started and then I never had to do anything else again. So it's like, oh, uh, I don't know if I'm going to need to get the... And then I had to test them last week. So I was like, well, good thing that I didn't decide to take one home or give one of them away or something. So uh, now I can listen to it on either one. So if you have trouble getting Spooky South Coast on either one of those devices, let me know because I can walk you through the process, uh, being as how I have gone out and done it myself. And it, it really is, if you look at... Are both of them simple to operate to get? Wicked, wicked easy. Okay. So all you have to do is you need to have, you know, Wi-Fi in your home. Yeah, internet access. Obviously. So, and, and then you need to have, it involves using an app on something. So probably on your phone, um, you would just have like the Alexa app on your phone so that it uses, you know, that to be able to, because, you know, it's just a little speaker. You can't right. get into it to see the actual settings. So you do the settings on your phone and uh, you enable the skill and then once you enable the skill, all you have to do is say, Alexa, play WBSM. You have Alexa on your phone. Yeah. So somebody else does. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, now I just made his go off. And <laughs> that, so there are some, some updated changes coming with that too to make it even easier. But that, I can't say anything about that yet because we're still in the process of that. But it really is a nice, simple way of being able to uh, listen, and a lot of, you know, these internet radios that people go out and buy now, instead of going to the store and buying an analog radio, they buy these internet radios that connect to your Wi-Fi network in your house, and you use it to listen to streams, and you can use those for ours uh, very easily. 
and it comes in beautiful. I mean, I, I, I walk into the station listening to this in my ears, in my headphones, and it sounds better in my headphones than it does when I'm in the room. Like, that's, that's how high quality our streams are. Uh, we spent a lot of time and energy upgrading those over the last few years, making them crystal clear. So if you're listening on podcast, I can tell you this now, the podcast doesn't sound as good as the actual live stream does. So you can check that out for yourself. Uh, all you got to do really is download the WBSM app. That's the simplest way. You can take it with you everywhere you go. You can put it on your car dashboard and then you can listen to the show. So think about where we've come in 16 years of being able to get the show out to people. I remember where it was just strictly the airways. The internet, you know, was more for, you know, looking things up. Streaming really hadn't been fully well, invented yet or, or was very cost inefficient we didn't for even, somebody like us. We didn't even have Wi-Fi. <laughs> in yeah. those, like you had to use the computer over here to look stuff up or you had to connect into an Ethernet port, and the Ethernet yep. port is still sitting over there lonely. Uh, <laughs> but I remember I used to have to jack into that on Saturday nights when I would come in. And, yeah, and you'd be standing right here. And that's part of the reason yeah. why I started standing right there in the middle and doing the show from the middle. short cord. Yeah, <laughs> I had to make sure I could reach the Internet. But um, And also, you know, in those days, I felt more far more energetic than I do now. So it's like, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand for the show and project my voice better. And, you know, some, some people still do that. You know, uh, Chris McCarthy, who um, hosts a weekday show, you know, right now he's out recovering from a, a terrible bout with COVID, but he always likes to stand when he does his show. Uh, but, uh, you know, the rest of us, we just get lazy and we sit down. It's it's far more fun to, to sit down and do the show because then you really feel like you're just having a conversation with friends. Right. Uh, but yeah, in those days... We didn't even we we didn't even know that we were going to podcast the show when we first we really did sign the agreement to of, do it. Yeah, we really did kind of pioneer along with the other people that started back then making our own podcast before podcasts were really a thing. There were like five, I think five or six paranormal shows available yeah. on podcast back then. So you could get Ghostly Talk. Uh, I think Jim Harold was doing his show. Um, Ron Kolick had a show, but they weren't podcasting. Right. But you could hear it on the local airwaves here, you know, not so well down on the South Coast, but in Massachusetts, you could. Um, and then Coast to Coast wasn't putting out podcasts, but I do think they were streaming on their site by then. Right. And then... One um, of the few... Just a couple of weeks before we started, Darkness Radio Radio. started. Yep. Uh, And so they just celebrated their anniversary, too. They're they're going through some changes, and you can check out all that on the Darkness Radio YouTube channel. Uh, But there's some, there's, you know, new new iterations of that program uh, in their 16th year here, but, well, heading into their 17th. But for us, it is, you know, just been a technological marvel of where we got to and kind of a technological, you know, return to normalcy uh, after that because we started off, you know, again, and I feel like every anniversary show, we kind of re-go through the history of Spooky South Coast, but yeah. we get new listeners each year that haven't heard, you know, some of these these stories before. So pardon us if we repeat ourselves, but the way we started when we came in here and and... I'll just take it back really quick. I was doing a sports show here. Uh, I'd been doing that for a couple of years at that point. I was supposed to be doing it as a call-in contributor for five minutes a week. 
That's what they called me and asked me to do when they first started the sports show. It was called The Locker Room. Uh, this was in 2002 that they were starting the show. And I had, at that point, been a columnist and sports writer for the Standard Times for about four years. And out of that, the first three years, I was doing a free wrestling column. I was writing a column yeah. about pro wrestling every week and sending it to them and not even getting paid for it. Um, but uh, in 2001, I got hired as a sports con uh, correspondent there. And it's funny. You were also doing local sports columns. That's that's all that I was doing at first. Yeah. Uh, that's what I got hired for. And my first day of work was supposed to be September 11th, 2001. Uh, mm. Everything that went down that day, John Comey, the editor at the time, the sports editor, called me and said, yeah, so you probably guessed we don't need you to come in tonight. There's no games happening. And I was like, yeah, no, I get it. So I started actually a couple weeks after that. And what's funny is uh, that week was when I was first moving out of my parents' house. Mm. So I was supposed to move out of my parents' house on September 9th, that Sunday night. I had gone over there and to my new place and I had brought over a bunch of like essentials, everything that I was going to need. And I was going to go over there and stay. And then I was like, yeah, there's, there's no cable. So, the, you know, I didn't even have internet in my house when I first moved in anyway, but there was no cable to even watch TV. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to stay back because I don't know. I think the Sopranos was on or something and I wanted to watch that. So it's like, I'm just going to, you know, I lived in a little, like a, I'd made like a little apartment out of my parents' basement. And so I just went back down there and stayed the night and watched TV. Then that Monday night, the September 10th, uh, I stayed because, you know, wrestling was on. So I would watch that with my brother every week. And so I was going to be there anyway to watch wrestling and it got over at 11 o'clock. So, you know, might as well just sleep there. So, all right, Tuesday night, I'm going to stay. Because I do believe that that was originally the night that two shows that I wanted to watch were going to premiere, uh, Smallville and 24. But I think they got, you know, postponed. Yeah. But the, um, so I was going to go that night. And then when everything happened that morning, I was actually at work. You know, when I came home to my parents' house, me and my mother said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer it if you just stayed. Because my dad worked overnights and... You know, she she was a little bit nervous and didn't want to be alone. You know, even though all the other kids still live there. I have four siblings. But she was just like, can you just stay one more night? And I ended up staying all the way until the next Sunday. And that's only because I was waiting for my cable. Ah, yeah. But anyway, uh, long story short, I started doing the sports show here. Uh, I was supposed to do that five-minute call-in. And when they called me to ask me if I wanted to do it, I said, well, can I come in and do the whole show? Because I'd always wanted to be in radio. In fact, when I was at Wareham High, I wanted to be uh, on radio so bad, and they didn't have a radio station. I was part of the AV department, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't have a radio station, so I made one because the previous class before me, I had some friends in that class, and they taught me a lot of different AV stuff around the building, and they told me about how in the back of the auditorium was the lighting booth. And in the lighting booth, they had a sound system that would pump out into the auditorium, but that could also be pushed into the cafeteria because it was made so that if they had town meeting in the auditorium and they had an overflow, they could pump the audio to into the cafeteria. The, so basically what you're telling me then is I can sit in the lighting booth and I can control what goes out over the speakers in the cafeteria. Yeah. So I can make a radio station in the back of the 
lighting booth and I can pump that into the cafeteria during lunch. And I went through all of this, you know, all of these gymnastics, uh, you know, talking to the teachers, getting approval from them, going to the principal, talking with him. I had to give him uh, a list of every possible song that I was going to play. Um, he didn't want me to do anything that would deviate from that list and he was going to approve, you know, what songs I could do. Uh, so I, you know, obviously I was smart enough to say, well, I'm not going to put songs on there that I know are not going to get approved. So I made a, a list and like, we don't need no education. No, it was more just worried <laughs> about language and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I got, you. uh, there was no, like, there was no content control. Um, and in fact, you know, I thought I was going to get a list back that was like itemized, like, yes, no, 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 yes, yes. And then he was just like, yeah, that's fine. So I went out there and I called it WVKN Viking radio. radio. And, uh, I, Went on and I did my first show and I had my friend Chris, Christian Fernandes, who now runs Wareham TV or, you know, he's one of the, one of the people that does stuff over there. I, um, I had him set up a camera in the cafeteria and record the reaction of everybody the first time they heard this. Cause I didn't really make a big deal about it. And, um, nobody could really hear it. They were all too loud. So they couldn't really hear. So I just kept boosting it up. And as I'm boosting up the audio so that the kids in the cafeteria can hear it, I was actually blowing out the eardrums of the teachers in the teacher's cafeteria, the oh. teacher's, you know, dining room, which was on the same circuit. And I remember like they told me I couldn't do it anymore after like three or four days. And I was heartbroken. I was like, there's gotta be a way we could keep it from going in the teacher's room. And they're like, no, it can't be done. And like, here I am, you know, 25 years later, and I realize I have the knowledge to have just been able to go in there and- Unplug. No, and install just a switch that would have turned off the speaker. Like, I could have just yeah. put in a simple flip switch. The teachers could have turned that off so that they didn't have to hear it when the music was playing. Yeah, they would miss the announcements, but they would know if there's an announcement going on in the cafeteria because it would be loud in the cafeteria. So anyway, you know, that was my, that was the end of my uh, high school radio station. But the, um, I was going off on a tangent there. Yeah. So working here and I, doing I, this show. I'd always wanted to be on the radio. My uncle was in radio. My father did college radio. It was just, it was always a big part of my life. So I said, I want to come in and be part of the show. They let me do it. And I was a co-host on that show for how long did it go on for? Cause it kept going on even after spooky South coast started. So. Six two thousand probably a good four or five years. Yeah, that was part of that show, and um, in two thousand five, the program director here at the time said, "You know, we like what you do. Would you like to do another show?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do a paranormal show on Saturday nights." And here we are, all these years later. So Matt Costa and I, because this is before we even really knew you. Yeah. Um, well, you knew me. We knew. Did you know we knew I who was... you were. We didn't know that you were interested in the paranormal. Yeah. So Matt Costa and I came in here for months and practiced. And, you know, not really like practice the show, but like Matt would come in and run the board. I was supposed to learn how to do it, but I was kind of like, yeah, Matt will handle that <laughs> because I've known Matt for a long, long time, probably, you know, more than those 25 years. And my tendency has always been to just let him handle things because he's so good at it. And he's, he's just like a genius at figuring out everything. So I kind of was able to use him as a crutch to be like, well, Matt will learn. And Matt actually went and went to broadcast school. Yeah, he did. After we started the show and uh, he really learned everything. And, and, and of course now he works for Howie Carr. So, you know, he's, he's been able to put that all to good use, but that's the way that we had to kind of go through these steps to be able to get on the air. And if you go back and you listen to those early episodes of Spooky South Coast, we had another 
third person for the first couple of shows, Evan Russo, who was the person who called me and asked me if I wanted to be on that sports show and uh, and helped us get Spooky South Coast launched. And the f- we had an idea that we could record the show and maybe do something with that recording that because the um, the newsroom had these... And we still have them today. <laughs> 16, 16 years later, we're still using the same equipment. But it's just because we won't, we refuse the to upgrade. Skimmers. No, we have these little boxes. Um, they're Marantz. Marantz, Marantz, how do yeah, I But these, these little Marantz boxes that, you know, they're digital recorders. And they're basically giant versions of what everybody's walking around with now with their little Zoom recorders yeah. and uh, the little Olympus ones that they're walking around with the parabolic mics and all that. And they have the XLR inputs for microphones. Well, these are you know much bigger. You carry it over your shoulder like an old 70s tape recorder. You know, you look like Kolchak going out to cover a story. Um, I heard they might bring that back. Well, they, uh, they did just release a 4K upgraded version of the original series. No, so, I'm talking remake. Well, but now that that's out, it's going to get a lot more of a fan base. Yeah. Uh, because the last time they tried to redo Kolchak, it did not work out. Uh, it, it was a, it was kind I, of a disaster. I, I thought nobody was supposed to talk about that. What that series? No, the attempt, the other attempted remake. No, this this. No, from what I understand, they're going to you know. Said it in more modern times, a modern day version. And of I, it, yeah. I think it'll, I think it'll work out. I mean, if you look at some of the shows that are out there now, um, in terms of like the stuff they put on Sci-Fi and things like that, there's, there's definitely a, a, um, an appetite for it. But if you go back, I mean, I love Kolchak, but if you go back and watch those old episodes, they're slow. And they're really cheesy when it comes to like the, you know, the the lore and the legends of it. So you know they well they had to do that because the way television worked yeah, back you're, then. And you're you're you're, I don't want to say dumbing it down. You're softening it for a prime time on it because you know this wasn't a, a a cable show right where you can get away with getting a little bit crazier with the storylines. I mean you had to sell this to middle America, um, but anyway, going back to those recorders. So we had those here and we said all right we're going to record the show. What are these things called podcasts? <laughs> and how hard would that be to do? And we said, I don't know, let's look into it. And we and we did a couple practice shows and we were recording them into that device. The, we also had the task cam. I think yeah, we we ended up buying that. Yeah. But we so we recorded into that into that device and we were doing this for the for a couple of weeks and it seemed like everything was gonna work out fine. First show we come in, that thing isn't here for the first time in months. <laughs> I mean, I mean, probably years because I was coming in doing the locker room and it was always sitting right over there too. Yeah. We came in and it wasn't here because somebody had taken it out on assignment. And so we're like, oh man, what are we going to do? So I ran to the car and I got my little digital recorder that I had probably only just purchased a, a few months before uh, for sports writing. And we plugged it in with an aux cord coming out of that little headphone box and totally blew out the audio because I didn't check it first because we were, we were kind yeah. of, you know, against it. And um, that's why when you hear the first episode of the show on the podcast archives, it's completely blown out. Uh, And that's because of that. So then every week after that, it was here. And then after a little while, we said, you know what? Let's just get our own. Matt went out and bought a Tascam because we were like, we're we're taking a risk. And of course, now 
we don't need that. Now we've got skimmers and we've got all kinds of recordings and everything. Um, and I also remember back in those days, we had a backup plan in case the recording failed. Uh, one of our most devoted listeners, yep. Chris Oliver, who she might even still be listening, she would record every episode on cassette tape. And she, if I ever ran into trouble with a digital recording of the show, I would just reach out to her and she would come by and drop off a cassette tape for me to digitize and then upload to the archives. And we had to do that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was a couple other times when we had people who were recording it digitally at home and they would send it to us. So we do have... A complete archive. I don't think we're missing any shows. There might be one show. I think there's one show that we did that might be missing, but I don't think so. I think we were able to go back and find it and, and get it into there. Um, so 640 something shows are all out there for you to listen to. But we had no idea when we put that podcast out that people were even going to listen to it because if we had thought that the show was going to go beyond the <laughs> South Coast, we probably wouldn't have called it Spooky South Coast. But that's what gives it its flavor. Sure. But I've also spent 16 years answering the question, where's the South Coast? Coast. Yeah. Like some people think that we're in Florida. Some people think that we're, because I guess they use the term South Coast in like Carolina, the Carolinas or Georgia or something. People think we're there. People think the South Coast of California. There's all of the, which I, I take that all as a, as a, as a compliment really, because that means you don't think that I have a, a Boston accent, which I worked hard to get rid of. <laughs> so, but there's all of these questions that pop up about it. I probably would have called it something way cooler. And in fact, originally I'd wanted to call it, because I'm a big alliteration fan. Mm -hmm. I had wanted to call it Midnight Mass because, you know, we were on late at night and we were coming together to kind of talk about, you know, yeah, I guess. you know, late night kind of things. And, and someone said to me, if you go on the air and call it Midnight Mass and you're not doing an mass. actual mass, you're just opening up a, a lot of problems for yourself. So I was like, OK, I won't call it that. And then, of course, then the Netflix series comes out and everybody loves that title. So, damn it, I could have had that one. But um. Spooky South Coast ended up being the name we went with, and uh, we put out that first episode, and I remember you know, watching all of the... We still use the same podcast service that we used way back in 2005 when we started the account, yep. uh, and, and we've gone through a lot of problems with them over the years. They've, they've had some issues, um, and we've stuck with them through those issues, mainly because they have every one of our shows, <laughs> uh, and also... We're locked into the deal that we signed in 2005. But the deal actually worked out in our favor now. It, it did. And eventually they're going to figure this out and, and ruin it for us. But, you know, knock for Micah here, uh, Dogwood, we're still doing okay because we're on that original plan of, was it's like 10 bucks a month. Yeah. <laughs> and we have unlimited storage, unlimited <laughs> bandwidth, unlimited downloads. So like right now they're kicking themselves being like, why did we ever agree to this? Because they've got 641 episodes and we used to upload huge files oh, until yeah. we realized that we didn't have to. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's, you know, the, the very wonderful people at HipCast, you know, we thank you for all your years of, uh, of, of helping us out and keeping things so that we can afford to keep doing the show. But then that first episode, we put it out there to podcast and we're checking the stats. And I used to bring my computer to Matt and I were cooking in a diner at the time in the mornings. And I would bring my computer with me every day and we would work on spooky South Coast stuff till the boss came in and we would track the podcasts and 
when we hit 100 downloads that first week, I was like, oh my God, man, 100 people have listened to that show outside of the radio audience. And then we started to see like it was popping up in different places. We had somebody in Japan that was listening, an American in Japan who was listening. We're like, oh, well, this is, this is, some, this is going to reach out to other people. Yeah, we apparently were very big in Kazakhstan. Still are, uh, which was probably just you know the the you know s- some shadow organization downloading all the shows to use against us. <laughs> but we we reached people around the world in a pre-social media time, so I never would have expected that we would have. You know, now you start a show, the, you you the realize the other social media at that time was. MySpace barely. I, I think MySpace started after we did. Or it, yeah, but I'm saying or it, yeah, it might have taken us a while to start a MySpace. I forget exactly how it went down, but roughly around the same time. But we never would. You know, now you start a show and you're like, okay, we know that people will have an appetite for this. We just have to reach them the right way, and you know that you can get that worldwide audience. Back then, we just we thought we were going to be talking to the local South Coast audience, mm-hmm. and out of that, it was going to be who's going to tune in on a Saturday night and listen to the radio. Uh, we had a newspaper article that came out, you know, leading up to the launch of the show. Uh, maybe that was a little bit of my influence saying like, hey, guys, can you help me out and write an article about my show? Um, but, they, you know, they, they, the newspaper was always very supportive. Uh, so we went through the first couple of months of, you know, uploading the show that way. Uh, you came on board about three months in and... We started realizing, like, we got to up our game a little bit technologically. And that's when we started attempting to stream it ourselves Uh. because we didn't have a stream here at the station. So, and we had no idea how to do it. So, Matt Costa did a lot of research. And see, now I know and work with and, and I really love the engineer here, Frank. You know, I, I, I talk to him all the time. We always go back and forth with ideas. Uh, you know, he's been a huge help for everything that we've done. But back in those days, I didn't really know him. You know, if I had known him, I could have just said to him, hey, Frank, we're thinking about doing this. Uh, you know, can you figure out an easy way to do it? And he would have because like Matt Costa, he's a genius at this stuff. But we didn't know him. And I was terrified of him back then. Uh, still a little bit scared of him now. <laughs> but as any good radio person should be of their engineer. But... Um, we decided to try and do this ourselves. Matt came up with this uh, this plan, and he figured out how to do it. The problem is somebody had to press the button to start the stream, which meant somebody had to be in Wareham, where my computer was that was running the stream, to press the button. At the time, I was married, and we asked my wife if she would do it, and she said no. And so we ended up, you know, coming up, formulating this plan where... Because we knew, and then those days we had to take our commercial breaks. Uh, I, I couldn't exert the influence that I can now, which which is uh, saying, like, I'm going to just run all the commercials at the beginning and then talk podcast style for 45 minutes. Uh, no, back then we, we had to hit all those breaks. And we figured out that it was 23 minutes before we had to take that first break. So that meant that Matt could come here, start get the show on the air because I didn't even know how to do that. Fly back to my house. Start the... Start the recording. Press the button to start the recording. That's all he had to do is go into my home office, press the button, get into his car, come back. Then come flying back into the studio to take over the board in time 
to fire off the first break. Although I think he might have trained me just how to press the button to start the break. But he had to be back by the time the break came back. So he had like 28 minutes. But he did it. And he did it for a while. A year and a half to almost two years. And then when the streaming came in, it made it a lot easier. Uh, So then we, and then once the streaming was done and that was, you know, out of our hands, we said, well, now let's try and do streaming video. And we had the original stick cam. Yeah, that was. Uh, And then we had uh, many cam, which we used to call Manny cam. Um, We had all of these different video streaming things that we tried and they worked. They didn't work great, but they worked. And we were able to have a video stream, and we were able to take those videos and put them onto YouTube. And then, of course, we eventually built Spooky TV, which Matt turned into a full-scale production. But then that, you know, the, 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 the downside of having a genius is when the genius isn't there anymore, the genius things can't happen. So when he, you know, started working with Howie and he couldn't really be here anymore on Saturday nights, all that stuff kind of fell by the wayside. So... That's why, you know, the production value of the video had dropped pretty quickly when he was gone. It was literally just me going over, pressing the button, coming back over in my seat. Um, but all of that, all of those technological changes, when you look at what people do now. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, and we don't, we don't even need to do things the way that we do it anymore. Like, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I could sit at my house and do this entire show and still come in over the radio and I could do all of that. I don't love it because while it's good to be able to do it that way, it's not the same as coming into the studio and getting amped up to do the show. It, it, it feels differently being here doing it. So I, I don't know that I would ever want to be doing this show as a let's sit at home and talk on StreamYard version of Spooky South Coast. And it works for many other shows. I know you're doing a show yeah, on Monday nights that streams that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, Midnight FM, Midnight Society, when I do that, you know, that's a from home thing, but I do it like old school radio because nobody wants to see me just sitting in a room at home. <laughs> um, but, you know, as we go through these different iterations, like we've we've pulled ourselves back to what, what it is that we started. We're a radio show that also podcasts, and that's what we do now. That's what we've always done best, and that's what we'll continue to do. You know, maybe someday we'll work some more video into it, but... For now, I mean, people say they miss the video. What they really miss is the chat. Yeah. And uh, are there ways could that we could we, probably get around you know, that? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we probably could reinitialize the chat. But we but also don't have somebody that's monitoring the chat either. So, and, you know, the chat was getting inundated with, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes drama with the Midnight in the Desert stuff and all that. And so that was kind of bleeding into some of that. And we had people that were showing up every week causing problems. So you have to kind of be aware of that and be careful of that. Um, but anyway, that, I mean, I didn't mean to, you know, ramble on for 20 minutes about all of that, but that's where we're at. And that's kind of where we're going forward, you know, just kind of keep going with what we're doing, what, what's, what's been working for us. We're always open to suggestions. Spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, I've been trying I got to... one. What, what is it? I want to do another on-air radio drama. Like we did the old timey thing. We, we I, talked that about, was fun. We talked about bringing that back. Um, I know at one point Chris Balzano was working on a script. Uh, when I was still involved with the newspaper, the the three writers who had written the first one that we did were, were working on a script that they were going to present to us. Uh, but I don't, you know, none of them are there anymore. 
and I'm not there anymore. So, um, but we have, you know, discussed it over the years. The funny thing is, and I was talking about this uh, with our production director, Jason, the other day. If you think about it, old time radio has made a comeback because if you listen to some of these podcast series that are out there, like the Bridgewater series mm-hmm. uh, that Aaron Mankey did, uh, and of course, there's other ones that are out there that are literally just dramatic stories being told with actors and sound effects and all of that. That is old time radio. So, and there a lot of them are doing it in similar fashion to how, you know, we did that show. Now we had originally planned on, you know, doing all the Foley sound and all that. Like, you know, when somebody's walking on gravel, Matt was going to have a pair of shoes that he was going to run over some rocks, you know, but we we decided that that would just be too complicated. And so we put sound effects into the computer. We also didn't have enough room with all the people that we Right. He would be over here like, you know, doing this and doing that. I think he did end up getting the big, uh, the big metal sheet for like the wind or whatever. Um, But we, you know, we, we, try to simplify it as much as we could. And I think some of these podcasts do that as well, but we're seeing, you know, that format make a comeback. So while it was super unique when we did it, because we were the first ones to do it on the radio in 50 years, I don't know if it still has the same impact anymore for an audience that is like, Oh, they're just doing that other podcast thing. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, I think it would be fun to do. I think it would really be fun to do on stage. You know, to do it, you know, in front of a crowd, in front of an audience. We had a little audience when we did it here. Yeah, they, but they enjoyed it. Like to be able to go to, you know, like a school auditorium or, you know, obviously not the Zyterian. It wouldn't be, you know, that scale of a production. But, you know, something like a small community theater, one of these church auditoriums or something, mm-hmm. you know, go in there and do it there and, and have the audience be more of a part of it. You know, that might be fun. But really, like the biggest thing that we can do to get back to our roots is, you know, we need more interviews. And I'm trying to work on bringing back more guests. Um, I will admit I got kind of burnt out talking five nights a week to different guests. Uh, I was getting kind of to the point where I was like, ah, sixth night of interviewing somebody? Like, I just don't know if I can do it. And so I liked getting away from the interview and coming in and just hanging out and chatting with you and Stephanie and, you know, anybody that called in and all that stuff. I liked that break of it. Uh, Now that we're only doing Midnight Society one night a week, you know, it's not as draining anymore to I mean not that it's draining to talk to the guests but you know what I mean yeah like it, there's a difference between having a conversation with a couple of people in the same room and having to be up and on for an interview like that so you know I want to bring back more of that kind of format because I think that's what people originally started listening to the show for they didn't listen to the show and I always used to say it like people don't tune into the show to hear us they tune in to hear the guests and so you know we can get back into that you know in topic driven shows I've always loved too it doesn't always have to be that a, there's a guest sharing a story telling you know promoting a book whatever sometimes it's just fun to be talking about a particular topic and saying if anybody wants to call in on that or, you know, we're going to have this friend call in, you know, like I look back to when we were talking about the stuff that came out about Ed and Lorraine Warren and how they were involved in a, a thruple apparently and how, you know, there was, we talked about some of the, the seedier side of the paranormal and, you know, the community itself and some of that stuff. And, you know, Chip Coffee just calls in to, to share in and then some more phone calls come in, you know, like that's, yeah. that's good that's a good way of, of, of fostering a discussion without having to just have it be us rambling. So, 
Uh, I do hope that we can get back into some of those type of topics. And, you know, we, I want to know what all of the audience wants to hear. Uh, again, as I said, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is a way to email us. You can also call in and give us your thoughts. 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in to the show. And we can call in and you can talk about really anything. But, uh, you know, bonus points if you call in just to tell us how much you've enjoyed listening to us for the last 16 years. And... Or haven't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can also talk about some of the more interesting episodes that we've done over the years. Uh, I was recently talking about some of the, you know, that I'm, st I'm still proud of the fact that all these years later, we've only, we've only had, we've only lost two guests in uh, well, 641 okay. shows or 643, whatever it is. We've only lost two guests. One, they hung up on us and didn't call back. And two, we hung up on them and didn't call back. And then there was the time that the guy hung up and said that he didn't hang up, but we know that he did, yeah. and we never had him back on again. But it was, we had Commander Sonny Cito hang up on us. And, well, actually, I should say hang up on you. Yeah. Uh, but which, she did call back. No, I don't think she did. Uh, I, I thought she was done. I thought she called it. She called back, hung up again, and then she was done with us. Yeah. Yeah. She hung up, called back, and then hung up again. But... And then we got blasted by her by her followers. Um, but, you know, I know that people love to go back and, um, you know, they, they love to kind of laugh about that and poke fun. And I know one of our regular listeners uses the screen name, Commander Sonny Cito and all that. But we've come to find out in recent years that the woman who claimed to be Commander Sonny Cito definitely had some issues. Yeah. And while generally that is kind of a, a, a thing that people assume about some of the more you know, wilder stories that we have on the show. They're like, oh, that, that problem, that person sounds like there's something wrong with them. And like, okay, like we really shouldn't throw those terms around anymore. But also in this particular case, as it turns out, something is wrong with that person. So I don't really like to have fun at that person's expense anymore. I will completely have fun at Moniz's expense oh, of course. for forcing her to hang up. Um, like how, I didn't force how, her. How dare you ask her how to make the math work? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> math is universal. Well, no, we use a different math. No, you don't. Math is universal. But anyway, um, and then the the Jesus hang up. Oh, yeah. we we gave Jesus <laughs> way more time than we really should have given Jesus. You mean Brooklyn Jesus? Uh, Richard Brown, I believe, was his name. But yeah. Jesus with the Brooklyn accent. It, listen, it wasn't the original show that I had intended. <laughs> I originally tried to get this guy who does a show out of, I think, Chicago called the Jesus Christ Show. And it's a priest who pretends to be Jesus on the air to answer people's questions. And it's all done as, you know, I don't want to say shtick, but it's all done as a device to be able to offer this, you know, advice to people. And they make it clear that it's not really Jesus. The audience understands that. And they still call him with their problems. And it's all just part of, I don't even know if the show's still around, but you know, this is how the show was running. And I found it very interesting. And I asked that person to come on the show for our Christmas show. And he said, uh, I don't really feel like that would be appropriate. You know, it's one thing to do it in my show, talking to my congregation, but it would feel differently if I was going and making appearances somewhere else as Jesus. And I said, you know what? That makes total sense. And I just happened to find this other guy that claimed to be the reincarnated Jesus. And spoiler alert, 
he was not. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that we let him go pretty long with some of the stuff that he was saying. But when he started talking about how he was starting his own country, because, you know, the end of the world was coming, and he was starting his own country, and only certain people were going to be allowed into that, the people that he picked, and a big part of what, why he would pick you would be if you would given him money and all this stuff. And I, it, I just remember saying, like, that's not very Jesus-y of you, and then we hung up on him because, like, that is not very Jesus-y at all. So Correct. I doubt he was actually the real reincarnated Jesus. If he was, I probably screwed myself for what comes after this life, but I was probably already screwed anyway. So, eh. mm. uh, at least we got an entertaining hour and 15 minutes or whatever we got out of him before that point happened. Uh, also, we did have that guy who had written the book about the, the Hockamock Swamp, and he hung up on us, even though he says that he didn't. You remember he, like, hung up? Yeah. When we, we, we basically, we, I, I believe we asked him kind of straight out, like, why do you think you're qualified to write this book? Because it was I've full of misinformation. And if uh, memory serves, he also wasn't even from the area. No, but I mean, yeah. I really can't fault anybody for that, especially now with how big the Bridgewater Triangle right. has gotten. But this was just outright, like, it just there was stuff in the book that was wrong. And so, because I, you know, I read the book before we had him on the air, and I probably came into it, like, wanting to question him on a lot of that stuff, and it, it started to get uncomfortable for him when we did that. So he hung up the phone. And then I don't know if he thought the better of it or what, but he called back a couple of minutes later with the whole, oh, I don't know what happened routine. And, you know, we, we let him, we gave him the benefit of the doubt and stuck it out, but uh, no. Yeah. It was just, it, and it was just more of the same. So, and that, let me just tell you any future guests of Spooky South Coast, that's not the way to get us to stop asking the questions that we're asking. If you don't like the question and you pretend to dis the phone got disconnected and then you call back, we're going to ask you the same question that we just did. Like just a little more pointed. Yeah. We don't ask questions that were like, oh, you're right. We probably shouldn't have asked that. Like if we shouldn't have asked it, we probably didn't ask it to begin with. Hmm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that record because a lot of other shows have spent you know, years of booking guests and run into issues where they've had to hang up. I mean, it's, there's been moments on Midnight Society and Midnight in the Desert that I'll admit I really should have hung up, but I didn't. Um, sometimes they get me right at the very end too, which happened to me a couple of weeks ago. But it, it's, that is our champagne celebration for anybody that hears yeah. the, the pouring. Um uh, that brings me back to another thing. Backyard podcast. I, I still get people we, I talk to, you know, that listens. When are you going to do another one of those? We still owe uh, some listeners who paid years ago when my son was, in, was uh, raising money for a baseball fundraiser when he was in Little League, when he was in T-ball. They had the opportunity that if they raised enough money, they got to go out and have lunch with Nomar Garcia Parra. And he ended up raising enough money because I turned to the audience and I was like, donate to Adam's fundraiser. And one of the things that we promised was for, you know, the highest donor, you could come and be part of a backyard barbecue. And the Ellisons, uh, was, I think it was them, were the ones that um, donated the highest and they should, they should be uh, able to come and join us whenever we do it. But we, you know, we haven't done it. 
It's not like it's not like uh, the first one wasn't <laughs> wasn't interesting enough that you know people wouldn't want to come and see that happen when we set the grill on fire and proceed to get slowly pickled. You drank an entire bottle of Goldschlager. Yeah, I did. Which, and then I started hitting some of the other stuff you had in the bar and oh yeah I, I and i still have all those same bottles because i don't drink <laughs> so everything that i had that night i still have plus maybe a few more things i've added to the collection since then but yeah that bottle of bombay sapphire still there okay uh what else was there oh that bottle of tequila the jose cuervo, cuervo. that's still there it was 1800 wasn't it? i don't remember um but i can tell you when i bought it I bought it in 1998, the night my grandmother died. Oh. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get drunk. And so I went to the store and I bought a bottle of tequila. Uh, I was, wait a minute, 1998, I was only 20. But somehow I got my hands on a bottle of yeah. tequila. Oh, you know what it was? Ah, um, my former wife was my girlfriend at the time and she was 21 already so she bought it at the store and then i went back to my house and said all right i want to drink this whole bottle of tequila to you know help me with the 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 loss of my grandmother and i drank like two sips of it and i was like all right i'm done <laughs> i'm just not a big drinker uh so that's still there uh, i still have my 1950s jack daniels that i got from my grandparents house that's still there i'll probably make it go blind yeah. I have the bottle of E&J brandy that I used to keep for if my grandfather came over, I'd pour him a brandy. Hmm. I didn't realize, <laughs> you know, not knowing that much about it, that that's not really a great brand. But I was like, uh, oh, that's brandy. I'll put it in the, I know he likes brandy. I'll put it in the, in the, in the liquor cabinet. But yeah, everything that I had back then is still in there. I, I probably haven't even opened that cabinet more than five times since that night. And that's only because sometimes I need a glass that I keep in that little bar or um, that's where I kept my like grandfather's pipe. And every once in a while I'll pull that out and use it. Okay. So with tobacco. Yes. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with our number two of our 16th anniversary celebration with more spooky South coast. Stay tuned. She's not feeling well, but uh, hopefully she'll be back with us next week. I think next week we're going to have a guest with us that was going to join us this week, but had to work and um, we'll, we'll find out for sure. Got to get some clearances and some approvals and all that kind of stuff to get the time off and, and be able to come on. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll let you know about that as soon as we can pay attention to us on social media 
at Spooky SC on Twitter and the Spooky South Coast Facebook page. We'll put out the information there uh, once we can announce it. Also, we've been, you know, talking here. It's it's a subdued 16th anniversary party. You know, we've we've matured over the years. And, you know, just like in real life, when you're a human being, eventually you reach a point where your birthday shouldn't be a big deal anymore. And you should just be like, yep, it's my birthday. Hey, thanks for the uh, cake, everybody at the office. And, you know, now I'm going to get to go home. My family's going to let me pick out what we have for dinner. Like, mm-hmm. eventually your birthday becomes not that big of a deal. And that's kind of the case with Spooky South Coast now, I think. And we don't need to celebrate as hard as we did when we hit, like, year one, year five, year ten, uh, the 500th episode. You know, these were all, like, big milestones. Now it's kind of like, all right, made it to 16. As we say, like, this is the year Spooky South Coast learns to drive, and then we can start sending it to the store to get us stuff. But the the other thing that I will say, and by the way, that leads me to a whole other thing about, you know, millennials and this obsession they seem to have with birth months. You don't get a birth month. It's my birthday month. No, it's you don't get a birthday month. It's my birthday week. No, you don't get a birthday week. It's my birthday weekend. Okay, maybe that's all right if you, you know, you have to work or something, but... No, generally your birthday is one day. We're not celebrating your birthday for 30 days. I like you, but not that much. Uh, but anyway, that's me going off my old man tangent. By the way, one of my old man tangents that I went on, I went off on recently, and you don't have to go that far back in the archives to find it, but I went on my little rant about the, you know, the, the influencers, the social media influencers and what they were doing to the paranormal. And uh, I believe I made some, took some cracks at the, what I called the spooky girls uh, and their, you know, the, the, the storytelling TikToks and all that stuff. I take back what I said. First of all, that was wrong of me to say. It was um, very inconsiderate of me. Uh, but also I've gotten to know some of these people and, you know, they are serious about what they're doing. They're not doing what I thought they were, which is just, you know, going out and grabbing people's stories and then telling them in front of a spooky place and, you know, taking pretty photos of themselves and putting it out on social media. No, they're putting work and effort into this and finding their own research and stories and going out and having these experiences to report on them just in a different format. You know, the same way we go out and do events and have experiences and then come back and tell the audience about it, they're doing the same thing. So my apologies uh, for... Now, that's not to say that everybody's doing it the right way, as with everything, but there's also a whole bunch of hack paranormal talk show hosts, too, and I use that in air quotes, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think I was a little bit too judgy about that because I was an old man digging my heels and saying, I don't like this newfangled technology. I just want to walk around wearing an onion in my belt because that was the style of the day. So that's... um. That's my apology. And I, I also believe that at one point I did say that they were all named Amanda, too. I also apologize for that. They're not all named Amanda, but the ones that are named Amanda are very nice. Speaking of which, if you go to WBSM.com, if you go to UltimateUnexplained.com or Fun107.com, you'll find a story about one of those TikTok influencers. Her name is Amanda Millette. Uh, she is Spooky New England on TikTok and Spooky New England Ghoul on Instagram. Um we had a story that Maddie Levine from Fun 107 wrote uh, about her inside look at the Lizzie Borden house. Amanda has some videos of the Lizzie Borden house and some of the adventures she's gone on there. So you can go and check that out at WBSM.com. UltimateUnexplained.com has it. Fun107.com has it. And actually got picked up by a bunch of different sites uh, all across the Town Square network. So uh, it's out there if you want to go and check it out. 
And uh, also in that story, you'll find there's a little walkthrough list gallery to see like what the what the Lizzie Borden house is like on the inside, and one for Maplecroft as well. So uh, again, you can go and check those out online. And if you go to the Spooky South Coast page on WBSM.com, it's right there. It's also we tweeted it out, we put it on Facebook, so it's uh, it's available for you to check out. There, I mean, think about that. Think about when we started doing the show, how rare it was for people to be able to see inside some of these places. The only way they got to see some of these locations was if they made it onto the paranormal TV shows. So we had, you know, I think it was 2009 we started, you know, doing events. And it wasn't until then, it would help if I press the right button. It wasn't until then that we really started being able to, to paint that picture for a lot of these places. And now the technology is there that people have seen the inside. I mean, you know, just last week we had, I don't know if you saw it, but there was some activity that happened at the Oliver house the night after I was there with my friend, Stephanie Forlini. We had some stuff going on during our investigation, but the next morning Christy went to go take down the Christmas decorations and when she was watching the security footage at about 7.30 in the morning, something like that, the bar that blocks the basement door, the wooden bar that slides into those iron railings, uh, that actually just drops and you hear it drop. And then a couple of seconds later, there's some voices and, you know, that's, there was nobody in the house at the time. So now you know, somebody can see inside almost live some of these places. I know that sometimes the Oliver house does stuff live. I know the Lizzie Borden house has live cameras. People yeah. can sign up to watch and many other haunted places do the same thing now. And in the, in, in the days of when we started doing this, you know, the best shot some people had at seeing the places we were going to was if we put some photos up on our old spooky South coast blog. Why, why isn't this working? Oh, I got to turn, slide yeah. that one up too. That's what happens when you're pressing this one and not that one. It's all right. So, yeah, I mean, in those days, you know, we, we had to be consciously aware of how are we going to present this to people visually. Uh, the other thing that we were pretty much responsible for is the popularity of the Bridgewater Triangle. Well, I, did, I didn't want to say that, but if you want to, go ahead. Well, I mean... I am not wrong in saying that we, being the local show about it, we brought it more to the forefront. Obviously, Lauren Coleman in well, his book, you know, but then we started... Well, let's be fair, because Lauren wrote his book, and then, you know, it comes out in 1983, and it became a little bit of a thing, but it didn't really become a thing until... The next generation, and Lauren will say this himself, yeah. the next generation really carried that mantle. So Chris Pittman, Chris Balzano, Balzano yeah. they were the ones that were really pushing it. And then, of course, Aaron coming out with the first, you know, inside the Bridgewater Triangle half hour documentary and then somebody illegally uploading that to Google Video. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know who did that. I think the statute of limitations runs out if Google Video doesn't exist anymore, right? Probably. It got like sucked into and absorbed by YouTube. So because it doesn't exist anymore, I think I can say now without fear of any kind of prosecution that uh, I'm the one that uploaded inside the Bridgewater Triangle to Google Video. And I still have a video copy of it somewhere, uh, a digital copy of it somewhere. I could re-upload it again. <laughs> but Aaron's asked me not to. Okay. 
But the point being, we were the local group that brought it back up. And we more, made it more popularized. We yeah. make sure that at least once a year, we're still, we're still focusing doing, on it. Yeah. I remember how that came about. It was one of those, you know, diner discussions <laughs> with Matt Costa and myself as we were as we were preparing to launch the show. Because originally we were going to launch the show in time for, I think it was Halloween of 2005 is when we wanted to launch it. Because I got, I think it was September that I got the offer to do the show. And we were hoping to be ready to go by Halloween. Didn't work out. We were not ready, uh, mainly because, you know, we just couldn't clear our schedules enough to get here and do enough practice and learn how to run things. So we pushed it off for, for, for January. Yep. And then we decided to, I forget why we decided to do it at the end of January, but we pushed it off till the end of January. And I still remember going out and taking the first promo photo for Spooky South Coast. It was Matt and myself at my house. I had By your shed. My shed was had the peeling paint. It's 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 all been yeah. repainted now. It looks beautiful now. But the peeling paint and everything, and I think I had like a rusty horseshoe I had hung up over it. And uh I was wearing uh my Patriots sweatshirt and he had on, you know, his typical black all hoodie. black mat, you know, black uh hoodie, all all black clothing. And um we went out to the shed and just took a quick photo in front of the shed. Matt threw up the shocker, as he used to do in every photo back then. And uh, we took that, and I somehow I made a graphic. I don't even remember how I made the graphic uh, because certainly I, I've never, I still don't know how to use Photoshop. And then we took it down to Walmart, and I had something like three hundred photos printed up of yeah. this this photo, and it was just a regular like photo you would get processed at Walmart. It wasn't any kind of postcard or anything. I didn't think to go to Staples with it or anything like that. I went to Walmart and paid like, you know, eight cents a copy or whatever. And we took those 300 promo photos. The plan was to go out and like distribute them everywhere. Like we hung up a few on some of the bulletin boards. I know he hung it up at, we hung it up at Stop and Shop over here when they had the community bulletin board. We put it in some of the libraries and he actually went into the old Looney Tunes comic book shop and when he went into Looney Tunes to hang up the promo photo, that's when he saw the promo poster for uh, Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers on cable access. And so that's how we reached out to Penny Dreadful and had her come on and mm -hmm. got to meet her and become friends with everybody that way. And But it was as we were like plotting out all this stuff leading up to the show that Matt said to me, he goes, have you ever heard of the Bridgewater Triangle? <laughs> and I said, no, what's that? And he's like, well, you know, I, I don't know if he said Google it because I don't know if we were saying Google it in 2005, but we found uh, Chris Balzano and Chris Pittman's websites and started like diving deeper into this. And then he, that's when we were like, all right, well, we got to talk about this. This has to be one of our episodes. And it was a very early episode and it's just been a, it's been a major thread of what we do ever since then. I mean, you've been around here for a long time you know you grew up in the area you were a paranormal investigator yeah, I, for I a long out, time i was out in the bridgewater triangle doing stuff in the 80s but even you didn't realize that there was a thing to it that it had this this yeah I, this bigger overarching theory behind it no for me it was you know the smorgasbord of paranormal things I didn't think of it, yeah, as that whole collective thing that it is. There was no today. forest for the trees. You yeah. were just, you know, zeroing in on all the different trees. Right. And but now, if you look, if you go back and you look, it's become this like pop culture 
thing. Like there's new videos that pop up all pop, the time. Yeah, but the thing the thing about the the triangle is it was its own thing long before Coleman ever wrote about it. It, it the area as we now have learned over history, it has had that whole history long before we did it before Coleman, you know. Even the Native American Wampanoags, you know, going back hundreds of years, said, this is a creepy place. Sure, but now it has that bumper sticker T-shirt. Yeah, it's become type. Yeah, and it has has that type of a resonance, and we've seen it with, uh, you know, the the Bridgewater podcast series, of course, Aaron and Manny's documentary, Mm -hmm. uh, which if you still haven't seen it, it's now free on YouTube. Uh, There's also other videos that have come out. I mean, you just have to go and search Bridgewater Triangle in YouTube and you'll see there's all kinds of other quote-unquote documentaries. And, and I'm going to say I'm going to articles and yeah. There's it, it's become a thing now. I'm going to loosely call these other videos documentaries cuz most of them are just taking what was in Aaron and Manny's film and, and regurgitating it basically. And some of it's some of it's bad. Some of it's really bad. Did you see I don't know if I don't know if you saw it, but a couple of months ago, uh, we happened across a video that somebody had made a like cartoon about the Bridgewater Triangle. I, you showed me a a clip or a photo still and, out of it. it I, yeah, somebody made a like animated Bridgewater Triangle thing, and Aaron pops up in it, like. Okay. As a character. And what's funny is like Aaron and I are watching it separately in our, you know, in our own houses, but we're talking about it over text as we're watching it. And then like as we're watching it, all of a sudden we both got to the part where he pops up at the same time and it was like we both just lost it. Like, oh my God, you're a cartoon now. <laughs> like it's kind of always been my dream to be a cartoon. You know, um Dennis, who does all those paranormal caricatures, once yeah. made that caricature of me. And, you know, I still use that as my pro- profile pic every once in a while because I always wanted to be a cartoon. Um, I used to call myself the human Saturday morning cartoon when I was on Saturday mornings and the other guy stole it from me. But the, um, the you know, the that was like a dream. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up to? I want to be a cartoon. Oh, you want to be a cartoonist? No, I want to be a cartoon. So if you think about it, it's not that big of an ask. Because a lot of very low-level, flash-in-the-pan type celebrities turned into cartoons. I mean, okay. MC Hammer had a cartoon. The New Kids on the Block had a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, John Candy had a cartoon. I mean, I know these people are all, like, big stars, but still, like, it was a stretch to turn these people into a cartoon. Uh, Louis Anderson, who, you know, just passed yeah. away, he had a cartoon. Uh, Howie Mandel. I mean, all these people got a shot at a cartoon. Like, where's my cartoon shot? I want to have a chance. And I, you know, I think it could. I, I have a lot of ideas. I, I know how it could work. Also, there's a, a, a an account on social media called Paranormal and Plastic, where this this person is making action figures of people and creatures in the paranormal. Uh, and it's it's really funny to see like the way that some of our friends are being portrayed as action figures. It's very very cool. Uh, now they can't make an action figure of me because they would you know would take too much plastic. <laughs> but you know for what I for what I have to have added on in you know width, I don't have to be as tall as the other figures. So it okay. kind of works out in the end. Uh, but there's there yeah there's some really good ones. Uh, you know our friend Shannon Legro was just immortalized in plastic. Seth Breedlove. Um, 
really uh, both Ken Gerhard and Lyle Blackburn have action figures, and I'm pretty sure they're just the same action figure because yeah, they just look they alike. Look like. um, you know, and I tease them about that when I've had them on my show. Like, you know, the, they have the same hat, they have the same wardrobe. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, but one plays country, the other plays metal. That that would be if I could be a cartoon and an action figure before I die. I will feel like I've had a life well lived. I mean, yeah, of course, I've you know, I've raised the a best great offspring who's going to do great things with his life, and uh, I've left a, you know, somewhat of a career behind. But you know, it's the it's the action figure, the cartoon, and maybe a breakfast cereal. Those three things. I think the best you could probably hope for would be a bobblehead. You can get those made yourself, though. That's uh, that's like getting getting a bobblehead is not that cool. Like. I get these emails. I'm on the email list from the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame. Okay. And they put out these bobbleheads all the time for like different special events and everything. And they, they send out press releases and like they, they'll offer to send me the bobblehead if I want them. And so I, I mean, I have sitting on my, at home on my entertainment center, still in the box, a Carol and Howard Baskin bobbleheads set. You, I don't even know if you know who Carol Baskin is. Did you see Tiger King? I was going to say, isn't that from, I think, Tiger King yeah. people talking about that? I, and I have talking bobbleheads. They talk oh. of Carol and, and, and Howard Baskin. So, I mean, if they can get a bobblehead, anybody can get a bobblehead. So, I'm not, as much as that would be a nice thing to have, eh, I think you can go out and get those made for yourself. But a, a, an action figure, a cartoon, <clears throat> and a cereal. Having okay. all of those, you know, and it has to kind of be like a a, 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 a coordinated campaign. Okay. But by the way, the cereal covers us for Spooky Snack Ghost tonight. Yes, it does. But like, think about it when you were a kid. And, and, and it probably got worse when I was a kid as much as it did when, when you were younger. When you were younger, there was still some, uh... I don't want to say tact to how they handled this. By the time I was a kid, they're like, no, let's just get every dollar we can milk out of these children and their parents. But, you know, the cartoon would come out. The cartoon would, you know, usually be followed very quickly by the toy line. If not the toy line first, then the cartoon. And then, of course, the breakfast cereal would come out. And I think nothing really personified that more than in the 90s, those Ralston cereals when, like, Every property got a cereal. There was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal, which I would still eat today. There was the Ghostbuster cereal. I would still eat today. The Nintendo cereal. I would absolutely eat it today, but not that gross-ass Zelda side. Um, that when it was the Nintendo cereal came in a box, and there was two. There was a two bags in the box. And one side of the box was Super Mario Brothers, which was like a berry flavored. And then the other one was like a sweet corn Legend of Zelda side. And Legend of Zelda side was just not that good. Sweet corn, are you talking like Captain Crunch type of thing? Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. But it just, it, it wasn't really that good. Uh, none of the Ralston cereals were. You bought them because you liked the characters. So like their Ninja Turtle was just an offshoot of their Spider-Man cereal. So their Spider-Man cereal was, you know, Spider-Man and some other marshmallows with these oat webs like, or corn webs, like whatever they were made from. It was like... So you know, it was basically Lucky Charms with a different type of... Right, but you, you had a web yeah. for, for the, for the yeah. non-marshmallow entity of it. Well, when they came out with the Ninja Turtles cereal, 
they changed all the marshmallows to Ninja Turtles, but they left, left the, the webs, webs. And they're like, oh, those are the webs that the turtles use to capture all the foot soldiers. Like, I've never really seen the Ninja Turtles use a web ever. This feels like a stretch to me. And that's when I started to realize, like, oh, whatever's popular, we're also just going to tool out those those webs and marshmallows and sell it to us as a new cereal. So, and I do think there was, like, I'm pretty sure there was a new Kids on the Block cereal. Oh, God. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they might have also had an MC Hammer cereal. Like, I mean, that's that's part of that. That's how you've made it. And the other thing that I would have wanted to have, not so much now, but in those days, you you really couldn't have made it until you had your own 900 number. Oh, God. In fact, I'm thinking about starting one of those. I think this would be the next great idea in the paranormal where, you know, here we are telling all of these stories and experiences we've had. I'm going to start a 900 number where you call up and I will tell you spooky stories and some of my own personal experiences for Three ninety nine in the first minute, a dollar ninety nine each additional minute. Kids, get your parents' permission before dialing. <laughs> I think that would actually work. I don't know that you know. I don't know that I would actually make any money. Yeah. But I think I could actually make the line and and have it be a thing because did I ever did I ever tell you about my history with nine hundred numbers? No. My mother might have told you. My mother loves to tell this story. I. Uh, you probably got addicted calling them. So when I was a kid, I saw the commercials come on. And I believe the first one that I ever called was Freddy's Nightmares. Oh. 1-900-909-FRED. That was the number. Kids don't call it. And if you called that number, Freddy Krueger would tell you stories. And I called up and I listened to it for like 10 minutes. And uh, then I called another one. I forget. I, I think I might have called the gorgeous ladies of wrestling glow. I was a big fan of glow wrestling and I think I might've called their line. And to a kid, this is like the awesomest thing. You're on the phone with famous people. Now you don't realize that it's a recording or you don't really care that it's a recording, but you're on the phone with famous people. Then I called one 909 Jeff, which is not a Jeff Belanger hotline. What do you think was one 909 Jeff? In the 1980s, the late 1980s, 1988, nine, maybe you got me. It was the DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince line. Oh, and they would. It was literally just the two of them, like joking around and acting like a couple of jackasses and laughing like hyenas. And that's what I was paying three ninety nine the first minute, a dollar ninety nine each additional minute for. Then I would call. You know, Mean Gene Okerlund had his wrestling hotline. And then I tried calling. There was this one called, um, it was something arcade. It might have been like video arcade or something. But it was something arcade. And it was you, It was basically like a choose your own adventure. You know, you'd call in and then you have to like press a button for what choice you wanted to pick. Anyway, I racked up a $300 phone bill <laughs> at a time when my parents' phone bill was probably like 25 bucks a month. I racked up a $300 phone bill and they chewed me out. And they ended up, I believe they ended up getting it wiped away because, you know, in those days you could try to fight it and they would usually give you, you know, the benefit of the doubt the first time. And I don't know why, but I didn't learn my lesson. And I, the next month I racked up like a thousand dollar phone bill. What? So, and I think my parents were stuck having to pay that one. So 
it's it's a dangerous, dangerous game to get into, but oh, I would definitely feel like I made it if I had my own 900 number. I think they don't make them anymore. Like, I think they're like exclusively used for the adult industry. I was going to say, why don't we dial up pretty and although we may get a whole other type of... No, because I don't want to pay for it if, if no. it does still charge Use the studio phone. No, I think it would be blocked on this. Um, well, then, of course, as I, you know, as I said, like a lot of those 900 numbers got bought up by the adult industry. And for a while, when, you know, people know that I spent some summers living in a campground. And so the first summer that I lived in a campground, I lived in the Bourne Scenic Park. And none of this, by the way, has anything to do with the paranormal. I just, you know, I'm rambling. But the first summer that I lived at the Bourne Scenic Park, a kid, you know, it was it was one thing like when you were, it's the summertime and you're there, but like you're rotating through a different group of friends that you're hanging out with every week because people are only coming staying for a week and then going off. So one of the weeks this kid taught us the passcode for those 900 numbers, like the adult ones. Oh, God. And he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, you know, my sister used to work for one of those lines and she taught me how to how the people that call in get in to be able to to make the phone calls so you would dial the number and then you would put in the passcode and it would put you into the system and it would be like you know to begin work to do this to do this to do this and one of the options was to go into the system and talk to people so we would get into the system and we would talk to these you know phone sex operators and you know here's four or five 15 year old guys all crowded around a phone talking to this person and it it went on for quite a while, a number of years. I was able to use that passcode. You know, not like I was calling yeah. every day, but every once in a while I'd be hanging out with somebody be like, I want to see something cool. And I would call up and do it. And, uh, and it was, it was just the most stupidest conversations I've ever had. Like I would call them up and be like, so you get there, you know, you call up the number. And then they come through. Hi, what's your name? Uh, my name's uh, Joe. You know, you always use like the most obvious fake name. Hi, Joe. What can I? What would you like to talk about today? And I would say, Well, I want to know. Do you think that Oswald acted alone in the killing of JFK? <laughs> and then the next thing you know, we would have like a forty-five minute discussion about the JFK assassination. And then I'd be like, All right, I gotta go. And then I would hang up. And I started to think to myself, like. These people are getting paid anyway yeah. because they're on the phone. So if they answer the phone, the, the clock is running. And it's probably a nice part of their day to have a 45-minute conversation where they don't have to talk about adult things. And, you know, maybe some of those people are into the kind of topics that we are. And they would want to talk. I know that one of the people that I talked about was, do you believe in ghosts? And we, that was one of the conversations we had. So maybe that was kind of shaping who I would become as a talk show host. Maybe some of those people that I talked to have gone on to become, you know, paranormal investigators. We won't know. Or adult entertainment. Well, no, they already were doing that. So, <laughs> but, you know, if they were, if they were, I don't mean to be judgmental, but if, you know, if they were working the phone lines, they probably weren't also working, you know, in person either. Yeah. So, you know, for all we know, like somebody's listening to this and being like, oh my God, I remember what he used to call me. <laughs> and if you are, call me back and give us a call, 508-996-0500 and use your professional voice. I was going to say, and you want to open up the phone lines now, right? I have no problem with it. Okay. I have no fear. 
so also, uh, w- you know, as we're looking forward into what we have planned this year, and I had mentioned that, you know, I want to try to have some of the, you know, the guest stuff work back into the show. I also want to try to get back in touch with some of the, or, you know, some of the people that we've lost touch with over time. Um, if you remember, you know, when we, we've lost a few of our favorite guests, uh, we've, we've had a few of the friends of the show that have, that are no longer with us. Yeah. And as you know, as the last couple of years have taught us, you know, don't take that kind of stuff for granted. And so I do want to try to reach out and have some of the, you know, the, the, the people that I want to have interviews preserved with. Don't take offense if I call you. Like, don't think that I'm saying like, oh, this person's going to die. I better call them. But I do think like we should try to, you know, there's, there's some conversation that I want to make sure I have before it's too late. You know, I still, one of my greatest regrets that I wish we had had our Gary Patterson on more. Yeah. You know, I would have. He was a great guest. I would have had him on monthly. Like, I would have done a show with him. I would have done a, like, in now, in the way that things are now, like, I would have had a weekly podcast with our Gary Patterson. Um, still one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite guest of all time. Uh, I wish we had done more stuff with Jim Mars. Yeah. You know, I, and, and, you know, knowing just how great of a conversation we had with him every time and knowing how much there was that we never got to cover... Like, you know, I, I'll always wish that we'd done that. Um, I wish we had had Brad, Brad Steiger, Steiger on a second time. Yeah. We never were able to work out having him on a second time. Um, Bud. Right, well, Bud. We, well, we, we, were, we were kind of fortunate to even get Bud at all at that point in his life yeah. and, and know what he was dealing with. So, you know, I can, I can look back at that one and say I'm glad we were able to have Bud Hopkins on the show. I don't think that that was, you know, a missed opportunity. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's just people that I think have more, how, I mean, how's Maurice doing? Uh, last I know, um, he was still around. Um, he was, he's getting up there in age. Maybe I should I mean, reach out to him. I, I mean, he's going to get excited just because they're finally moving forward with the H.H. H. Holmes movie. Yes. yes. Uh, I saw that, uh, Johnny, um, I'm sorry, Keanu Reeves is going to be involved in it now. Really? Yeah. So Leonardo DiCaprio is still producing it, but I guess he's no longer starring in it. Okay. But so they've put, um, they've they've announced that Keanu Reeves signed on as part of the cast. So that should be pretty interesting. I don't know who he's going to play. I don't think it's Holmes, but. Um, you, know. you never know. The person I see probably being cast as Holmes would be, who could pull it off well, would be Johnny Depp. Because he does very good at character acting. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't I think he's kind of fading out a little bit as a leading man. Okay, but you know it all depends upon how they plan to film it and what time period. You know, I know I know when Leo was attached, he wanted to play Holmes. So maybe okay. maybe that's still the plan. I don't know, but that that would be that could work. Okay, I mean I also think. You know, I know people like to give him a lot of flack, but I do think Leonardo DiCaprio is a great actor, and I think he yeah, can pull it off. He probably could. Yeah. Did you see Don't Look Up? By the way, no. You should you should check it out. It's uh it's pretty it's it's kind of depressing. Okay. Uh, you know what it's about? 
So there's a, a, a meteor. What's it on? Uh, Netflix. Okay. I have Netflix. I don't watch TV. There's a, well, but I think the scientific aspect of it would appeal to you. Okay. There's a, a there's an asteroid coming or a meteor. I don't know, whatever it, you know, whatever it is. But there's one coming. An asteroid it becomes a meteor once it hits the atmosphere. And it's going to, it's going to wipe out the earth. Okay. And Leonardo DiCaprio and, um, I forget, uh, 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 Jennifer Lawrence are the, the two scientists that, that discover it. And so they're trying to tell the president about what's going on, Meryl Streep, and they're just not being taken seriously. And it, it, like a lot of different stuff goes on in the movie, but basically it, it's a social commentary on just how little people pay attention to things and how much they care about things because like nobody cares that this thing is coming and is going to wipe them all out until it gets to the point where it's too late. So uh, I think you would find it very interesting. So it's a realistic look at humanity. Well, that's why I think you would like it because it's, it's, you know, it's very much a commentary on, you know, here it is coming at you in the sky, but you're looking at your phone, you know, watching the footage of it coming toward Earth and about how, you know, science is, there's some allegory for COVID too, but, you know, science is trying to tell you what is the case and politics and the way that it's going to play out in the public eye is influencing how that message is going to be going on. I mean, think about that. There's... There's, and again, nothing has changed. There's an asteroid, meteor, giant ball of stuff coming at the Earth, and it's going to wipe us all out. We have to let everybody know. Uh, well, let's hold off because, you know, the midterms are coming up, and you know, we got to kind of see how it's going to play out. Like, So I think you would find it very interesting, and I, I think most of the audience that's listening would find it interesting. No matter, no matter where you fall in that, you know, if you think that society isn't that way, um, you know, you can see this as kind of a, a, a farce or as a bit of a satire toward it. Uh, but if you do think society's that way, you're going to be like, oh, that really is satire. and That's biting satire. So um, I've, I've seen very few people who have watched it and didn't like it. So or I shouldn't say because some people didn't like it. But they they're glad they watched it, but they were just so disturbed by it that they can't say that they liked it. Okay. I mean, it's it's going to mess with people's anxieties. If you're worried about the end of the world, it's probably not the best thing to watch. But then again, like, disaster movies were once a thing. Yeah. And that might be part of the reason why people don't take this stuff seriously enough is because for years our entertainment was, what can we throw at the world in this movie? The day after. You know, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's a fair assessment to say that the day after killed the disaster movie trope hmm. because you didn't really get a lot of them after that one. I mean, I think ending the world with a nuclear blast is kind of the way that you say we've probably gone as far as we can on the disasters. Cause I'm, I'm trying to think in the timeline. I don't know if we got another one of those until the day after tomorrow. Uh, that type. No, but there are plenty other disaster movies. Not of that epic scale that we had in the 70s you know not like earthquake uh towering inferno mm, yeah uh the well, poseidon adventure yeah i mean <laughs> my dad would have me sit down and watch all those movies like on a saturday or sunday afternoon and i'm like what more could happen to people like you can't go to the airport 
You can't go on a cruise. You can't go to the... There was even one in, uh, in an amusement park with a roller coaster. A roller coaster disaster movie. I mean, it just... It, it didn't stop. So... Well, you had disaster movies that went all... You know... I'll give you a good example. The Birds. That could be considered a disaster movie. Natural disaster. No, movie. no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about things that have a disaster in them. I'm oh. talking about these event-style disaster movies. Oh. Like, I'm talking like the Irwin Allen production. I think it was Irwin Allen. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 55 different major movie stars all having roles in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, like... You got to cut out. You got eighty-five different storylines going on just so you can get everybody enough screen time. Well, now they just do it with Bruce Willis in it, but you know. Uh, would I would I call Armageddon a disaster? No, I wouldn't. I don't think I would fit that in the same vein. But the premise is, you know, everybody's gonna die. Potential. But it, it kind of follows a much more loose. I mean, a much more tighter storyline. Right. Like some of these disaster movies, they have like 75 things going. It was like an episode of The Love Boat. Yeah, it was a disaster averted movie. Like if, if you, you look at it that way. If you watch a Love Boat episode, you know, like every single celebrity passenger that week has their own storyline story going yeah. on and they're trying to give everybody equal screen time. And it was like that with these disaster movies, you know, like... You didn't want to have, you know, Steve McQueen show up or Gene Hackman show up and not use them to their right. full potential. So, I don't know. I don't know how we went down that path. Oh, yeah. You know, Netflix and and uh, Don't Look Up. But anyway, yeah. Gotcha. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. I've also discovered uh, there's another show that I just found that I, I think is starting to get a little bit of buzz amongst the paranormal world. Uh, but I, I think it'll start to pick up steam with the general public in general. It's called, uh, what was it called? Archive 81. And it's about a, a guy who's hired to restore some, some videotapes from a fire. And it's quite a mystery story around it. I'm only five episodes in. There's three more episodes. Uh, I'm probably going to binge tonight when I get home. But uh, it's really, really interesting. And it, it involves um, some of the occult. It involves some stuff about, you know, just, you know, mental states, altered states. You know, very, very cool story. And altered that's based, states, good movie. That's ba It's based on a podcast, too. So, you know, I was talking about those dramatic podcasts. Like, this is kind of based on that. Uh, so that's, that's another one worth checking out if you're looking for something to watch. I, I've been watching a lot of TV lately, so I've been, you know, just... Working's nonstop, so when I get home, I just want to watch an hour or two and turn off my brain. Um, which I, I started watching that show, Yellow Jackets, on Showtime, which is another like mystery, like what's going on here kind of movie. But I, I'm starting to feel the oldness now because <sighs> it's a show where part of it takes place in the '90s and really plays up the nostalgia, like. They're trying to throw these throwbacks, these throwback things into the scenes, like really set the table. Like one of the things they sh they put in the shot was snack wells, cookies. Oh God! And I was like, <laughs> snack wells, devil food cookie. I love those. Why don't I ever get those? And then I realized like they haven't made them in twenty years. I was like, oh jeez. It's like when they put a clearly Canadian 
in a show and people are like, oh, I remember Clearly Canadians. Oh, I wish I would make those again. And now they make them and nobody ever buys them. So they won't be around for much longer. Even Crystal Pepsi's making a comeback. Why? Why? They're doing it as like some weird giveaway where you have to win to get it. Who's going to enter that contest? Why? I don't know anybody in my life that ever liked Crystal Pepsi. Uh, that was like the new Coke. Yeah, that went over real well. I would I would not give it I wouldn't even give it new Coke level in turn like it was like why does my Pepsi taste like citrus? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that was the problem with the crystal. New Coke was not terrible, but it wasn't original Coke. And actually I find the best definition I heard about New Coke was somebody just changed an RC label and put the New Coke on that's, it. That's fair. Uh, I actually have New Coke in my office. Huh? Because when the last season of Stranger Things came out, they, it you know, New Coke is part yeah. of the, the season. So Coke put out a limited batch of New Coke with that New Coke formula that you could only buy in these Stranger Things packs. So I bought, I think, two of them. Okay. Maybe, maybe I bought four. I don't remember. But I bought, like, multiple sets of them so that I could save a couple, but also I wanted to open one up and drink it. So I did. And I had a couple of the people here try it, too, because, you know, some of them were not even alive during the new Coke debacle. Uh, that that was just like, ugh. I, I told you about when I took the, the Pepsi Challenge at Rocky Point. No. Uh, I was so stupid I chose Jif. No. Oh. Uh, I went there and they had the Pepsi challenge. And for those who don't know what that is, uh, Pepsi had the brilliant marketing plan of the 80s to say that, you know, you couldn't tell the difference between Pepsi and Coke. Like, that's that's their plan. They're like, how are we, we going to beat Coke? Oh, let's just say that we taste like them. And so they had this thing where, and I, it wasn't really that. It was like you were supposed to taste the Pepsi and be like, oh, this one tastes better. I like this one. And it was supposed to mean that you were choosing Pepsi over, over Coke. So what they would do is you would go to this little booth and they would have uh, the, the, the two like cardboard boxes, like things around over, the can. Yeah. And they would pour you out of the can into a little paper cup, plastic cup or paper cup or whatever. And you would drink it. And then they would pour you the other one and you would drink it. And then you would tell them which one you chose. And I really ticked the guy off because I did it like 12 times. And every time I was like, I like that one. That's Coke. I like that one. That's Coke. I like that one better. That's Coke. Like no matter what he did, I was always, I was able to pick out the Coke because I was just that much of a, you know, Coke yeah. drinker and Coke fan. I would never drink a Pepsi back in those days. Now I do. Um, sometimes I go into the store I'm like I want a Pepsi but I also drink very limited soda now so I kind of pick and choose what I'm going to have when I have it I, I like I like to consider myself the you know the craft beer snob of sodas there you go so like I like craft sodas I like exotic flavors and things like that this really turned into spooky psychos yeah as it usually does but getting back into something a little bit more paranormal ish I heard that they may be reopening or redoing Rocky Point. Uh, so, I don't know. I know that there's there's a park there now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You'll, you'll never get it back to what it was. was, yeah. But, you know, if you wanted to try to bring back some of that ambiance, 
I don't know that people would support it because now we've got Six Flags and you're going to get a much better day out of it. Uh, even even the carnivals that come around in the, the fairs, you know, they say, hey, we even we suffer from Six Flags being around. So I, I don't know if the anybody would ever invest enough to create a real amusement park anymore. Uh, and I think all the, you know, all the skeletons of all the ones that were around are all gone too. So like, I think Whalen Park's already been destroyed. Um, Rocky Point is like you said, a park. Yeah. It's Lincoln Park is now what, condos. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Paragon Park is a big condo building. Uh, they do still have the Paragon Park carousel. Um, and then, uh, what was I going to say? The, um, uh, Riverside Park is, was Six Flags was built on Riverside yeah. Park. So like that's gone too. I'm trying to think if there were any others that I used to go to, um, uh, was it Benson's Wild Animal Farm? I don't know if that's yeah. still around. I mean, we've still got Edaville. King's Castle Inn. That's a stop and shop now. Yeah. I still have photos of myself at King's Castle Inn. I, it, it was it was a glorified carnival. Yeah. But, you know, it was still fun to go to when you were five years old. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's show. We went down memory lane a little bit too far, but that's all right. We'll be back next week to talk about the paranormal. If you want to reach out to us at any point during the week, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, you can also uh, follow us at, on Twitter at SpookySC. You can like us on Facebook. And uh, you can also check out all of our past podcast episodes wherever you find podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, it's everywhere. So just start spook search Spooky South Coast Podcast and you'll find all 600 plus episodes. Until next week, stay spooktacular.